Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, amigas. Welcome to the end of 2023 as we head into the holiday season. You know, there's been a lot of talk this year towards the end of the year about what's been going on across our communities and especially for women and women of color and the gender expansive community. You know, when the media narrative for women of color creates erasure or that there's nothing to see here, we are really diminishing our humanity. Globally, we cannot become a force of solidarity without supporting women who are seeking safety against violence, who are being held against reproductive justice and given financial equity to sustain communities. When women and children are healthy, educated, and safe, we build a sustainable future for all communities around the world. The time to acknowledge history is not written by women. So we are left out of that conversation, that narrative for sustainability, community building, and education that works for everyone. So equitable resources are not hard to provide. It's the hoarding of money and holding on to power and that colonizing power structure that is holding the healing back for many countries and for the U.S. So how do women mobilize, specifically women of color and the gender expansive folks, to unite and create a vision for the future? How do we uncover his stories where we can rise up now against those stories. And then we can provide our communities the networks to build a better future. How can we invest in each other without fear? When women own 100% of their bodily autonomy, financial resources, and access to healthcare, we essentially are creating the future existence of this planet. So let's welcome my guest today, Veronica Colón Rosario. She is the executive director of Fundación de Mujeres de Puerto Rico that was founded by women in the diaspora and within Puerto Rico, which promotes social justice and supports the economic security, safety, health, and reproductive autonomy and general empowerment of women, girls, and gender-fluid individuals in Puerto Rico. After Hurricane Maria hit her home country, using her educational background from top universities and an 11-year career at Washington, D.C., she decided her larger calling was to help rebuild the country through an ecosystem of nonprofits creating an entrepreneurial environment. So let's welcome Veronica to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Thank you for joining me today. I know you have a very busy schedule, so I'm very grateful for your time. I just want to bring our audience up to date about a little bit of current events and why the need for supporting organizations, especially at this time, is very critical around the world, specifically that are addressing the needs for women and children. And that's why I have Veronica on my podcast today from Puerto Rico and what she is doing for Comunidad out there. 
But the most important thing that I'd like to bring up is like myself, until I met her at the feminist funded conference back in DC earlier this year, I didn't have very much information about Puerto Rico was going on there. I knew about it. No bad bunny. I know people are buying property there and people are getting pissed. I know very little bits and pieces, but you know, I brought Veronica on here because I want her to give us her perspective being from the diaspora of Puerto Rico and coming back to the island to support this. So Veronica, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. So Veronica, tell us a little bit about how you came to the United States from uh, Puerto Rico and what you were doing, right, before you came back to the island, right? And why that was so impactful to you or why you left in the first place, I guess, right? Because a lot of people have left Puerto Rico and they're coming back, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, there's a few of us, actually. I was born and raised in a small town of Puerto Rico called San Lorenzo, which is about 45 minutes south of San Juan. And there is a thing here that people from the outside don't see, and it's that we are being raised and educated in a way that we have to leave the island eventually if we want to be someone or make something out of ourselves. So once I graduated, I studied my bachelor's degree here in Puerto Rico in the Universidad de Puerto Rico, Rio Piedras, which is our main public institution and has been operating for more than 100 years. I mean, I'm biased, but it's the best education system, like university education system here in Puerto Rico. And after I graduated, I was I went to Washington, D.C. with a fellowship and then did my master's at Georgetown School for Service with a focus on, on Latin America. And, and it's very easy to just stay there because everything is easy. Everything is accessible. I was working for a think tank, the Woodrow Wilson Center in the Latin America office. And it was an amazing job, something that this little Jibarita from San Lorenzo and Jibarita is someone that was born and raised in the countryside of Puerto Rico. And it was used as a derogatory term before uh, for poor farmers. And now we adapted it with pride. And we say we are Jibaros and this is our identity. So for me, all the things that I got to do in D.C. blew my mind. I didn't know that I could do all of those things. So I lived there for 11 years. It became, I came to a point where that was home and I call it home and I said, oh, I'm just going to go visit my family in Puerto Rico. But then Maria happened, hurricanes Irma and Maria in September 2017. And many people know this and those who don't know, this was a category four or five hurricanes that hit the island, left us without power for some people more than a year without power, those who live in the mountains. And it completely destroyed the greenery of the paradise of Puerto Rico. And I remember coming because I didn't hear from my family for a week because there were no communication. Internet was down, the cell phones were down, everything was. And I remember coming to Puerto Rico two weeks after with a nonprofit. And what I saw just broke my heart. And I said, what am I doing? Why am I in another state? Why am I advocating from Puerto Rico? And I don't know anything that's happening here as a Puerto Rican. Like, I should be ashamed. And I decided to come back, which I always wanted, but it's difficult because there are no jobs in Puerto Rico for people like me. And if there are, it's 
very little pay. And living here is a constant violence. The state is just inefficient. Their services are bad. Uh, so you really have to know that if you move here, you're making a sacrifice. But in my case, it was easy because I have no children. I, I didn't have responsibilities. If I had children, I wouldn't move back because it's harder because there's no education system here where I can take them. I'll have to pay for a private school. So I came back in January 2018, have been working for the nonprofit sector, which is, you know, my expertise. And as of two years this month, I have been the first executive director of the Fundación de Mujeres in Puerto Rico, which is the first women's fund in this archipelago or this island. So we've been operating since 2020 and we're the only philanthropic entity exclusively dedicated to the issue of gender equity here. And when I say gender equity, it's women, girls, and the gender expansive community. So I found the job of my dreams. I've always applied the gender lens in every job that I had because I have seen the difference of the things I want to do and people telling me why you're doing that differently. And I do know it's because as a woman, certain things are not expected to be done by us. And we think we're beyond that. We think we have equity. We think we're there. But that's not reality. When you look at leadership, when you look at, you know, the services, they're not, they don't have a gender. And so this is the first time that I'm in a job where I'm like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. Awesome. Yeah. You know, this is a lot of us like myself, right? We've been working somewhere that has provided us a good amount of financial stability, right? And then these things are happening. The world is say is waking up because there's been trauma in our lives and not just from our generation, but from past generations, right? Which is what I want to just kind of take a step back about the history of Puerto Rico and why it exists. Why is it a part of the United States, right? Which many people don't understand, yet they can't vote. They are beholden to a lot of the tax and, and commerce uh, initiatives in that area, which a lot of people don't know about. And this was something that I was really kind of like, whoa, I didn't know. So for many of you, like myself, California, you know, maybe you've gone to Puerto Rico for vacations, but to understand the island and what's happened to it, I think what I was thinking and what we discussed was how Hawaii with, you know, the indigenous populations are, we're talking centuries of colonization in Puerto Rico, right? And to understand that to where we are today, and the big topic of the day has been colonization around the world and how it's impacting a lot of people. Puerto Rico is really at this level of reliance on things that aren't sustainable to their island. Is that correct? Am I saying, I don't know. I don't want to be stating out of the ordinary here, but I just want to get your perspective because my mind was blown that it could be the second Hawaii 2.0. Yes. No, I, and I appreciate that approach because I do work with issues of gender equity, but you cannot talk about any intersection of, of the gender issues in Puerto Rico without first bringing the problem of colonization. We are a colonized territory. We have been forever since Cristóbal Colón decided to say this land is my land. You know, 
So we were owned by Spain. And in the Spanish-American War, Spain was like, okay, we lost. We give you this gift of Puerto Rico. So we were a gift. We were like a consolation prize. There's poor values of the Puerto Rican life from day one. So that means we have no control of our future and our decisions. We do not vote for the president of the U.S. We also don't pay federal taxes. I think it's strategically because they don't want us to be closer to either statehood or becoming independent. So I think that's very intentional. So it's a U.S. territory with total economic control. A current economic crisis, for example, was created by a group of what we call them vultures. That's the term because they come, they buy bonds, very cheap in place that it happened in Argentina as well. And then you had to pay them back three times for what they bought them for. And the economics of this, I cannot explain to you. I encourage people to look up the economic crisis in Puerto Rico and how now we have a fiscal war overseeing this debt, which we say it's an illegal debt that needs to be audited. So this debt should be canceled because it's very unfair. It was illegal and it was created in this capitalist perception that you can own things from people that can't even afford to pay you back. So... While the fiscal board is taking measures that are very dangerous for the future of Puerto Rico, particularly retiring in Puerto Rico is going to be an issue for the locals. They're closing schools. They are adding the debt to our electric bill, which is already one of the highest electric bills in in the U.S. When I say nation, sometimes I mean Puerto Rico because we speak of Puerto Rico as a nation. There is an identity. And I'm going to be very specific about U.S and nation Puerto Rico, so people understand what I'm talking about. So with all that, we have poor government services and in general, very poor infrastructure. But there's no action because there's very poor value given to Puerto Rican lives, particularly women. I don't know how many people know this in the U.S., but our bodies, just as Black bodies in America, just as, as other minority bodies in America, have been experimented on. They forcefully sterilized Puerto Rican women back in the day. There is a documentary called La Operación, The Operation, and it's about how the U.S. government, along with the Puerto government at the time, did this campaign where they were telling women that this was good for them and they didn't give them the information and they sterilized them. And this happened in America, too, with Black women. So there are parallels of of history. The other thing is the birth control pill that we take today. Guess who were the human trials were women in Puerto Rico? And they were giving them high doses of the hormones, which cause all kinds of health issues afterwards. And not only that, and this I did not know until I watched this new show called Painkiller and I had to looked it up because I was like, no way. The Oxycontin pill was first experimented on Puerto Rican women who went through OBGYN procedures. So that just gives you a context of nothing is being done because, <laughs> because they don't care about our bodies, our lives, our future. If you let corporate America come and do experiments with our body and you let them come here and take our land and our resources, you really don't care about the people of Puerto Rico. So 
We've had decades of instability, disasters, economic woes, corrupt governments. We have been owned for more than 120 years as basically a military base. We started as a military base. We still have military bases in Puerto Rico. So with the economic instability, lack of transparency with the local government, corruption, poor infrastructure, our population is just highly vulnerable to anything that happens. And to give you a context of the economic situation, we have more than 30% of our population living under the poverty line, more than 30%. But when you go to the center of the island, about 36 towns in Puerto Rico, we have 70 municipalities, 36 of them have more than 50% of people living under the poverty line. And if you segment the group of single women with children under 18 years old, 71% of these women live under the poverty line. And the average salary is $20,000. So when you compare it to the poorest state in the U.S., which is about $40,000, you are like, wait, what is happening there? So there's a very, very intentional work being done. And there's very intentional investment in hiding this from abroad and selling the island, the tax paradise, as paradise for tourists. But it's a paradise for who? Because the paradise is not for us. We cannot afford the paradise. It's the people that come from the U.S. with a lot of money. We do have a local tax incentive for millionaires to come to Puerto Rico and not pay taxes. They're supposed to be paying local taxes, but the law is not being regulated. And what we're thinking is happening is that they're not even paying local taxes. So we have this whole situation and the policies that are being put in place that are supposed to be working for the recovery of the colony are not released for us. The policies, if you really think about it, the policies are created to make Puerto Rico wider and richer. So Hawaii 2.0, right? It's the same situation. They are displacing us. The young inflation, they are buying our property and taking us out of our property. I have now problems with organizations that can't find housing for women who are trying to leave circles of violence. We cannot afford transitory housing because HUD is not adapted neither to the inflation nor to the problem of, of high cost because the rich people are coming, buying the places and then doing Airbnbs. We have the highest concentration of Airbnbs. It's just ridiculous how many Airbnbs we have and they're not being regulated. And the same company, Airbnb, doesn't want it to be regulated in Puerto Rico because they're making a lot of money. So I cannot find an apartment. I have a decent salary. I have an education. I have connections and I cannot find an apartment to live on or I cannot buy a house because the rich dude, mostly a rich white guy, will come and buy it cash to have an Airbnb and I will hate this place. So the policies are made there to kick us out of the island. And that's kind of a very brief summary of the situation. And there are different books about this out there, about the war against Puerto Ricans is one of them. It's a really good one. Um, but there is a lot of information out there on what is really happening on the island. And I, I appreciate spaces like this where there's interest on bringing awareness of, of what's happening to us. Yeah, 
Thank you for that. Because, you know, my mind is blown, first of all, that what you were talking about in the pharmaceutical industry, what's been happening to women of color, right? The distrust that happens here in the United States is very prevalent across the globe, right? How do we build the trust? Well, when you have shit like this, it happens. And by the way, it has happened, like you said, here in the United States with Latinas here and down in Texas in the Southwest region called the Madrigal Women. If you've not heard of that, they sterilize women. They still continue to do that along the border of what's happening in the ICE detention centers. And yes, this is not a feel-good podcast today, but we're trying to say is that these things are happening to women across the globe. And when we can lock arms and share our story, which is why I met Veronica and all these amazing, beautiful women at the feminist-funded uh, conference in D.C. who work with a lot of these constituents in D.C. or have been from there are really trying to be champions and to amplify and to have the resources to keep the community going. Because as I've said, you know, we are the last line of the fabric of just humanity, really. Once you lose that, especially women who cannot have children in a society that is declining, you're basically erasing the population for the dominant narrative. So, I mean, there's like a lot to unpack there as I'm seeing what's happening globally across the world. And we know, you know, what's happening across in the Middle East. The women need to be funded for resources, just basically of society, you know, from a humanitarian perspective. When I hear this, which is news to me about the pharmaceutical industry being a paradise of just like, well, no one's going to look because it's way over there. We have to really unpack these stories, do some work of research, right? Like why we have you here and to really understand what's going on, how we have to empower each other. We have power. We just need to lock arms to superpower ourselves in this predicament. And we're not talking military shit here. We're just talking fundamentals, food, the right type of housing. I mean, very simple shit here, people. But Coming back, so, you know, women, strong women like you, Veronica, that have seen what goes on in the rooms of Washington, D.C., right? The big rooms. Coming back to your country, right? You're like, this is where I can be the most beneficial and strong to help my community, right? That's why you, you've come back, right? Because you've seen that. I don't want to speak for you. I'm just saying you said you came back and you saw really going on, right? The wool came off, right? Is that what happened? Yeah, it's a mix between, it's between not being there for my family when they needed me and also being an agent of change in Puerto Rico. I love Puerto Rico and it's a love that I had to teach myself because they taught us in school that we have to love America, you know, and the American dream and that we went through rough history of making us think that we're white. Invite you all to look at the census data. To see what I'm saying is, do you see a lot of people in Puerto Rico identify as white? And, I mean, and people are not going to see me, but when you look at me, I'm a white person. I'm a white passing Latina. And I don't think of me as white. 
I think of me as Latina and, and they teach us in school that we are this beautiful mix of the Taino, the black and the whites. And it, it just like washed our brain in this fake history of power. I mean, again, who writes history? But I came back because I thought, you know, I was like, I had all these connections. I have all this education and preparation. And in D.C., I was like just another person. D.C. is so big and I have so many hardcore people. I was like, oh, I'm just another person. I'm going to go to Puerto Rico and use it for my people. And I came here mistakenly with the savior complex. And I I do have to accept when I make mistakes. And I am very honest with myself. I, I came here. I'm going to save my people. But when I came here, what I found was that there are people here at the forefront of the fight, the recovery, the solving the economic problem, telling people who, how it is. And I was like, I guess they don't need me. They, this, there's people here who have done so much more than me and have been doing the work for years in Puerto Rico and who never left. And I said, okay, well, they need me because, you know, they need me too. They need all the help they can get. What is it that they don't have that I can bring? And that is money. I have been fortunate. I didn't grow up privileged. I don't have money. I'm not rich. But I do have skills of networking and talking and convincing people that this is a good investment because it is. And I convince people because I believe it with my heart and I'm very passionate about my job. And I see that the investment is going to these women. And and I also work with the gender expansive community who are replacing the state. So I studied this in grad school. When there is an absence of state, when there is an absence of government in regions, who replaces them is organized crime. And we've seen this in Colombia and, and I did this in Mexico. And that's what I did for grad school. I did this research. That was my expertise. It's governance, democratic transitions and whatnot. In Puerto Rico, though we do have a huge problem with organized crime, and drug dealing and human trafficking as well is a huge issue here. Who has replaced the state is the communities, is the civic action, is the leaders. And they, after, and you saw it very clear after Maria, the people who were actually feeding the communities were these women who opened their kitchen and started cooking while the government was trying to figure out a good day to go and distribute food to take a picture. There were situations here after Maria where they hid the food. I mean, this is gonna blow some minds up. They hid the food to wait for a day so they can go, this is, they as mayors, governor, and all public officials to go at, at a day that they could go and take a picture. And some of them hid it so well, they forgot they hid it. And then we found year, two years after, hundreds of gallons of water wasted in a mountain because they just never distributed this day. Like this is how inefficient the government is. And we have learned to speak up about it without being afraid, especially people in my position. I can do it because I, they usually take retaliation against organizations that get state funding and speak up. And this happened during Wanda Vasquez 
when she was governor, we kicked out a governor and he was replaced by Juan Velasquez. And she withdrew money from women's organizations that dare to speak up against her government. So this happens. I can speak up because I don't get state or federal funding. And even if I do, I, it will make me just speak louder. But the organizations, the leaders, the people in the communities are replacing the state to feed to protect people, women who are trying to leave cycles of violence. They are, they are housing the queer community, the trans kids who are kicked out by their parents. They are protecting the children that are victims, second victims of domestic intimate partner violence. They're just bringing the solutions to fill the gap that the state needs. And also even food security. The food security is now on the hands of Puerto Rican, a lot of women. And to tell you a good example that I just heard today from someone that works at the Department of Agriculture, the federal government sent a lot of money here after the hurricanes to the Department of Agriculture to distribute among farmers after the hurricane because they lost absolutely everything. Uh, the farmers applied to these grants and no one ever got money the money was sent back. And this happens a lot in all government agencies because sometimes it's even because one guy is mad at the other or one is from a political party and the other is from the other political party. And I can say this because I have been in a room where people told me, oh, you know, this person is mad at me because I took his place and I'm from a different political party. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how can you tell me this to my face? And I tell them right up front, like, you're ridiculous. This is why we're stuck. So we're being held hostage. We're being held hostage by a federal government that seems to have good intentions to, for Puerto Rico. And there are offices like the, the Secretary of Energy came here and she listened to the community and she's now doing work with the community. So there are initiatives that the federal government is like realizing, wait, maybe if we just give directly to the people, because if you give it to the state, it's not getting to the people. It's just never getting to us. We're never going to improve that we keep. I mean, we have to redo the whole government structure. So yeah, we're being held hostage by colonization and we, we're being held hostage by our local inefficient governments. And these days, talking about these issues, and this is why, and you know, read the news and I, I feel it as, Every country that is or has been a colony understands, or if you don't understand, you're just closing your eyes because no one deserves, no one deserves to live life so controlled and not being the designer of your own happiness, of your own health, of your own living. It's just, you know, and I speak of it passionately because we're just like, I just came out of a meeting when we were talking about this and I'm like, oh my God, like there's so much work that we need to do. But the problem here is that we don't get seen and it's very intentional. They don't want to see it. And until there's a disaster, they don't want to see it. And so at the same time, we're not being funded by foundations because they perceive us as big recipients of federal funding. So they're like, they don't need money. FEMA said, I don't know how many billions. Do you guess what? Not even 25% of that money is going to be used. They're going to send it back. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's believable because of history, 
right, of the colonizing around the United States and what's happening. And, you know, people are just understanding like colonizing. It's like, why? Well, I thought it's supposed to be good. Yeah, it's good for some people that are reaping the benefits of that. And there's a long history of that when people are still suffering. The problem is that they have convinced everybody that this is not real. So it's intentionally made invisible so so people don't get angry. Because I know anybody that hears this and looks it up and finds out what's really happening, they're going to get angry. I know a lot of people love Puerto Rico, even non-Puerto Ricans love Puerto Rico. Uh, and, and, and if you look it up and you find out like how unfair these laws are, people will get angry. So that's why it's intentionally not available information. Yeah, I mean, the Jones Act. So if you're interested in that, that is the slow conversion of Hawaii 2.0 there when you get shipped products into the state. And it's so expensive. It's like, what about chickens and cows and farmers? It's like, what are you growing? Why can't they grow? Well, we just heard earlier the sustainability of farmers. The funding was cut after the hurricane. So how can you rebuild your farms if you don't have the money and the infrastructure to support it, right? So there's a lot going on there. The second thing I wanted to bring up was when you told me about the Secretary of Energy that came out to visit for, I guess, sustainability, right? Because we're all talking about climate change. You know, hurricanes keep wiping out the islands. What can we do, right? Solar power, wind turbines, all the green economy that's coming because As I mentioned in another podcast, you know, the Biden administration released a whole Inflation Reduction Act to release billions of dollars for the green economy. So to go out to Puerto Rico to see what she can do for energy conservation, I'm sure it was in her best interest. However, I will say that it is in her best interest to talk to the community. Why? Because they know the land better than anybody else with generations of people living there, understanding, you know, the wind, the rain, different sides of the mountain. You know, when you talk to people like that who understand the land, you have to work with them and listen to them, okay? And that is a very important topic there that we should all be having with the populations that are indigenous or that are literally have been there for generations for sustainability because it helps everybody. So that's the last point I wanted to make is about that with the eco environment initiatives that are coming through and then how you guys are being shipped products that you have to pay for, which, you know, you could probably do there, but you can't, right? And the inflationary cost, it's like Hawaii 2.0, like you were saying earlier. So on the closing, Veronica, I love all this insight and I love your passion. That's why you're on this podcast, because I want people to understand that What's happening there is not all bad bunny, right? There's like all these things we see, but we don't understand what's really going on. And there's a lot of people going back to Puerto Rico. And I want to get your take on this like yourself, but are they going back there to really stabilize the community and really stand firm to say, hey, or do you feel like it's a mixed bag? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a mix. There's some really Great people who have come back. And this last few weeks, I've been sharing time with another really amazing leader here. Her name is Estelle Massas, and she leads Sembrando Sentido, and she's doing all this amazing work of 
uncovering government contracts and how they use the federal funding, which is what I've been talking about here. So if anybody's interested in learning about government corruption, you should check out Sembrando Sentido. I think there are a lot of people who come with the very best intentions. And there's also people who come, like you say, and buy property and have this Airbnb. I mean, we rather have a Puerto Rican own Puerto Rican land. Always, it's hard to argue against someone who find that as a way of coming back home because we all want to come back home. It's just hard to do it because it's, it's not a good life for the locals. And I think there is a lot of great things happening at the community level. If you've seen the work that is being done here, they never cease to amaze me. Every day I learn something new with our grantee partners. I think there is a strong, smart, hardworking, bold community here. But yeah, in general, when Puricans come back, they come back to like roll their sleeves and get to work. But we've also unfortunately have seen an influx of wealthy individuals who come here to benefit from the tax law and like not pay taxes. And they are supposed to give $5,000 to nonprofits every year. Some of them do it. I, I get donations like that. And these are people who go out of the way to find good local organizations and donate. And they're others that create their own foundations and then they give to each other. So it's not really, in fact, in the local community, they are benefiting again from another tax break because now they have this foundation. So again, philanthropy benefiting the wealthy and not the community. So, and that is happening with one of the big, big ones who have been buying lands in Carite, in Calle, in Vieques, and he's bought hotels. He's, he's a cryptocurrency dude and he has his own foundation and he gets to say, I help people in Puerto Rico with this foundation. And he gets all the money from his friends in law 2022 and nobody speaks up because they're afraid, but you know, I don't care. So <laughs> sounds like another Sam Bankman in the making there. I don't know. I'm telling you, it's a real eye opener for me. I'm so happy you came on the podcast to share all this information with us. How can we reach you? Tell us, you know, how we can support you and how we can educate more people about this, right? Because as Latinas, once we learn about this, we do have a higher probability of reaching out to help or spreading the information like we do, like chismosas that we are sometimes, but in a good way, right? Like, hey, if you go here, be aware of this, right? Please be aware of this. So yes, how can we find you? So our name is in Spanish. I'm sure you'll put it in the description of the podcast, Fundación de Mujeres en Puerto Rico. If you Google Fundación de Mujeres en Puerto Rico, you'll find us will be the first option in Google. We're in social media. We do accept donations. We are a public foundation. We don't have an endowment. We don't receive large amounts from private donors yet because we're so young. Currently, our main income is from generous foundations who believe in our mission and with whom we're very grateful for. But yeah, so help us spread the word. We work with amazing leaders who are giving everything, literally everything and not getting paid enough. They don't even have a retirement account. They don't get days off. And we, you know, we work really hard here because there's so much work to do. So you can find us on the web, social media. And if you want to email me, you can find our email information in the contact part of the website. Okay. And again, 
We will have all this information in the show notes and also in the intro and the readout, which you'll hear shortly about how you can help and to reach out to see if we can band together and create a stronger community, you know, for all Latinas and women of color and every one of the communities that are marginalized around the globe, especially today in this time, moving into 2024. So thank you, Veronica, for joining me today on Latinas from the block to the boardroom. Thank you. Gracias, Veronica, for joining me today on Latinas from the block to the boardroom. If you'd like to learn more about Veronica and the organization of Fundación de Mujeres in Puerto Rico, you can follow them on Instagram at Fundación de Mujeres in Puerto Rico. You can also go to their website at prwf.org to learn more about how you can support them or get in contact with Veronica. A lot of the information we reference will be in the show notes, and you can find that on latinasb2b.com. If you like this content and the speakers we're providing, please follow us on all our social media handles at latinasb2b, especially YouTube, where you can find us at latinasb2b. And don't forget to sign up again for our newsletter. This podcast was produced and sponsored by 5E Leadership and Marketing. If you'd like to learn more about podcast marketing for your business or nonprofit, reach out to us at latinasb2b.marketing. This podcast was produced by Teresa Gonzalez and sound and audio engineered by Robert Lopez. Gracias. Gracias.